Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about Germany. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Dilly Algema, to discuss the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. Hey, Dilly, how are you doing? I'm very good, Nick. How are you? Yeah, something I can't remember. Honestly, I'm sleep-deprived. Uh, every week, I feel like I'm tireder and tireder, but I'll get there. I'll get there. I'll be fine. It's the nature of having children, especially ones that have nightmares. My daughter had a first nightmare. Two nights ago, and uh, the ramifications are still being felt. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you didn't come here to hear about my child nightmare problems. Uh, <laughs> Dilly, I've got a question for you. Isn't it my turn to ask you a question? No, you asked the question last week. It's my turn to ask you a question. Dilly asks Nick a question. I know, I just didn't rewrite the script. I think I should have a go because you messed it up. You messed it up, Nick. Hey, if you want to ask a question, I'm perfectly fine with that. It's okay, you go ahead. I have a nice question for you. We, you really would think we'd do the admin before the podcast began, but no, we like to share the inner workings of the podcast with the audience. So Delhi, if you're going to ask me a question, fire away. Okay. Name your three favorite vegetables, Nick. <laughs> uh, Hops. Is mayonnaise a vegetable? <laughs> I knew this was coming. I guess since it's Germany, I am legally bound to say Karabi because if yeah. you don't say Karabi, then you're clearly not a German. Mm. Uh, same potatoes is a bit of a stretch because they're a starch, aren't they? Or they're, uh, I don't know, not like a vegetable or something, but... It is. Uh, I feel like potatoes is the most cretinous choice. Everyone likes potatoes. Uh, yeah. So Karabi is great. I'll tell you what I'm really into at the moment... Rocket mm. salad. Ooh, there is something really solid lovely. about that. It's so peppery. Yeah, stick it in a sandwich. It does mm. everyone a favor. My new pizza choice uh, is any pizza, but the extra toppings are gorgonzola and rocket salad. And it's the greatest thing that you can eat. Yeah. Granted, no one wants to spend any time with you once you've eaten gorgonzola, but it is, oh, it's gorgeous. Uh, it's uh, uh, a choice. And the last one would be, mm. ooh, last one. I'm not a fan of tomatoes. Radician, I like a radish. Okay, so you've gone for three peppery vegetables. Yeah, I don't like things that are bland. I like, I like spice. I like a bit of action. Okay. I'm guessing they would be quite similar to your choices. Mm, I like any vegetable. Hey, that is not an answer to the Greek artist. <laughs> what are your three favorite vegetables? <laughs> I like any vegetable. Ugh. No. What are your three favourites? Am I disappointing you? Y you are very much. I like long beans. Okay. There's so much you can do with it. Mm -hmm. I like all sorts of cabbage. Mm -hmm. That's definitely a German... Red cabbage. Mm -hmm. A German choice, for sure. Yeah. Where you are, is it Rotkohl or is it Blaukohl? Rotkohl. Because I've heard it called Blaukohl and I've heard... Blue cabbage. Yeah, yeah. And I've heard the same goes for uh, Zwiebeln for onions. So, Rotzwiebel and Blauzwiebel, I've had as well. Blauzwiebel? Mm-hmm. I live in the South, man. We're a bit weird, right? That's our MO. Would you believe it? Like, so once I walked into a bakery in Hessen and asked for a Karottenkuchen, mm -hmm. because they had it for sale. Mm -hmm. And then I got a half an hour lecture from the Verkäuferin, the salesperson, and the customers on how it's not Karotten, that's just English, which is not the done deal. It could be Rublikuchen or Möhrenkuchen. Down here, they call carrots Gelberuba. So I guess I could ask maybe for a Gelberuba kuchen. Uh, you could. 
<laughs> Tell me if you get the lecture too. Dilly, I'm six foot odd white man. Like no one lectures me even when I'm doing stupid shit. <laughs> I could I could be standing smoking next to the petrol station and people would be like, yeah, that's fine. It's not, it's no problem. Please move closer. Yeah, please stand closer to the <laughs> to the flammable liquid, sir. After you. No, I, I mean, no, no, I've never. They just look at me blankly like I'm a moron and, and just move on with their lives. I do often ask for weird things at the bakery that aren't right. What is it I asked for? I said rice and the person in the shop looked at me like I was weird. And I was like, rice? And she's like, ah, rice. <laughs> like, I was like, what is that? This rotor car that I've got to roll every time uh... I, I pronounce my, I can't do rotor cars. I'm not very good at rolling my R's. So yeah. um, we need Sandra back on the podcast to give me a, a lesson in my, uh, my rotor cars. But yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. I feel like we're escaping the, the specifics of the question. You like green beans? What are your other two vegetables? Jesus Christ, you've got a memory. Hey, hey what can I say? I'm uh, I'm a podcast uh, profi. No, I'm not even that. I just remember interrogator. <laughs> I'm just high <laughs> because I've got no sleep. Go on. What are your other two vegetables? Green beans, red cabbage, and paprika. Oh. Red paprika. Oh, it's a red one. Good. Uh, mm. If you said green, I would have thought you were a bit of a weirdo. And tomatoes. Or maybe to- uh, all kinds of tomatoes. Uh, like uh, Dutton tomaten. So is there a difference in English, like date tomatoes and cherry tomatoes? Cherry tomatoes would be the term, but I'd say like any tomato is just a bad tomato. I hate the insides. The Oh, no. Not a fan at who all. Who hurt you? The, the people who make tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't even like tomato ketchup, so... I mean, that says it all, really. There's no other ketchup, right? There's curry ketchup. That's just curry powder with tomato. Yeah, but that tastes quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's so sweet, it's sour, it's very savoury. It's gooey and weird, and it's got seeds, so no, it's not not for me. Okay, so no passion fruit for you. Actually, I like passion fruit. <laughs> it has got seeds, Nick. <laughs> but it tastes lovely. It's a, it, it tastes does. of passion. So, I mean, how can I say no? <laughs> I'm a passionate man when I'm eating my passion fruit. <laughs> and sleep deprived. Sleep deprived. Yeah, I think I'm going to deteriorate significantly towards the end of this podcast. But hey, listener, that's for you to listen out for, eh? Nick's slowly going insane. I think actually I blame my adventures at the weekend for partially my loss of sanity. I went to hell at the weekend, by which I mean Ikea, or for the <gasps> Germans out there, Ikea. And this place is like, it's not quite my kryptonite because you can go inside it. Superman can't walk inside kryptonite, but it depowers me being in that environment. I hate, oh, you didn't. I hate it so much. I went on a Saturday evening as well, like a psychotic lunatic. And yeah, it was just horrific. And the worst part, I think, mm-hmm. was when my daughter turned around when we were about to leave and said she didn't want to go. She wanted to stay there forever. And it was really fun. And I'll be perfectly frank with you. If it hadn't been for the fact I was a witness at the birth, I would have sworn that that isn't my child. Because surely no Houghton thinks Ikea is an enjoyable experience. But she had a blast. She thought it was the greatest thing in the world, jumping on all the beds, uh, running in around all the setups and everything, playing in all the different rooms. She loved all of that. And she also liked the the meatballs. What are they called? Kurtbüller. Kurtbüller, yeah, that's it. And um, she really enjoyed those. Wow, so okay. I was going to get the family portion, which is 30. I could have eaten 30. Easy. No problem at all. 
for a shopping mallish kind of experience the food is decent it's got things that other people try to copy so um you know the the oat cookies that they sell by the mm-hmm. million like the deli uh, bit at the end there's yeah, like a deli bit with all the decent yeah i do like anything with a dime bar in it so i appreciate that but mm-hmm. it, it's the experience man like shopping and no. i can't remember if i hated it when i was living in britain but i definitely hate it in germany and i'm not sure if it's going to be improved if i go to britain and everyone says excuse me because that's not something that particularly happens in your your average german ikea what i did see though mm-hmm. was the most german thing I've, i think i've ever seen in any sort of scenario and it was a man sort of in his mid 50s skin tight leather trousers and a waistcoat leather waistcoat oh. and that was it and i was like you're my hero <laughs> You're my hero. I want to be a part of your fan club. Like he looked like a, a geriatric porn star. It was fantastic. A big mullet as well. I was like, this guy, this guy's got it on lock. You know, he knows what he's all about. Yeah. So it was a very German shopping experience, all in all. But it was horrific. I think there should be some kind of like self-help book recovery area for people that go to IKEA. It should be instead of the kids' play area. This is a quiet room where everyone can sit and just go, "Holy shit!" Massage <laughs> okay. chairs and therapy. <laughs> yeah. So you're not a fan of IKEA either? No, no, I'm not. I've decided that I'm not a fan of IKEA. I mean, back in my student days, I quite liked it because you could get like inexpensive mm. furniture. But I mean, ordering online, uh, parts arrive. like you know with weeks of delay in between and the customer service is just terrible hmm. and when i say so on twitter they don't respond to that so that's even more terrible <laughs> i feel like i need i deserve a response so no terrible customer service in germany never don't believe it <laughs> the maybe the reason that they're so sullen is well actually this is this is for you to talk about this is dilly's sports section right This is where you're going to tell oh, us about you, the recent sporting events that have occurred in in Germany. So please, Dilly, inform the people of the most recent sporting news. You and Simon, you cook things up, and yes, we do. And finally, the producer looks like he might be on my side. Yay! Temporarily, Dilly, what happened in the sport? Really, last week he was blackmailing you, and today it's yay! <laughs> yeah, it's because we're it's because we're just switching sides. Ah, oh, Jesus Christ, these people! Come on, what happened in the sport, Dilly? Come on, tell us, Dilly Sports Action. I'll come up with a a nice tune for it next time it's on. Dun da dun da da! It's the handball World Cup update. There's a gun to my head, and Germany lost. <laughs> Boo! Yeah, sadly they did, didn't they? Yeah, that was on Sunday. Did you know they had four finals? I could not fathom how handball works or functions as a sport. Like watching it, yeah, but actually how it the tournament structured makes no sense to me whatsoever. For someone who doesn't know how it works, it's surprising how keen you are on it. It's a sport, right? It's a sport that's worth watching sometimes. It kills a couple of hours. You know like crime TV kills a couple of hours. Berlin Berlin kills a couple of hours, Nick. Oh. Oh yes, I suppose it's also time for the Berlin <laughs> Berlin update. Uh, for for listeners who missed last week's show, I was challenged by Dilly and one of our listeners, uh, Marian, to watch Berlin Berlin, a TV show from the early two thousands, <laughs> and I did. I watched the first episode, and I have got a blow by blow account 
I like wrote down what I was thinking exactly as I was thinking it. Okay, we need the blow-by-blow account, Nick. So it starts, it's the first episode, it's all setting up the story. It is a young woman who moves to Berlin, and that's the basics. So it starts at a school, and the first thing I wrote is, so basically it's clueless, but German. And it it felt like the clueless TV show and the movie kind of rolled into one. Very, mm-hmm. very looked very early two thousands, which I kind of appreciated. And it's weird, right? Because it's it's mm-hmm. intercut with cartoon bits, and the yeah. cartoon bits look like they're from the early nineties. <laughs> so it's like early nineties, two thousands, early nineties, two thousands. And um, one of the things that I loved the most about it is the lead character is called I think it's Lola, mm-hmm. and whenever anything negative happens to her she pulls these very funny she's got a very expressive face Mm -hmm. she pulls these quite funny faces so i was bang Mm -hmm. into that early doors uh, in the episode and then uh, eventually she moves to berlin in the middle of the show in the Mm -hmm. middle of the first ep and uh, it looks very 2005 Mm -hmm. i thought this is the bit that i enjoyed the most my wife said she watched it when she was like 15 Mm. i felt a bit connected like all right this is something that she was watching and it was it was obviously part of the maybe the zeitgeist but berlin looks just visually very different Mm. very like how people i guess who complain about berlin today imagine it was and one of the examples of that is the fact that everyone's apartment is either massive or Mm. looks like a squat. They all look like massive, Mm. expansive apartments, big rooms, high ceilings. And I thought if they made it in 2023, it would probably be tiny little rooms. (laughs) Tiny little rooms that everybody's in, little condos. And Lola's going to need like a year of apartment hunting before she moves (laughs) to the city after school. Yeah, not going to happen. she, She basically walks meets a cousin or something and he's got his massive apartment and she just moves in dead easy and i was like she didn't have to queue for like eight days to view an apartment and then have to be told that she's not getting it so that was definitely noticeable and uh, you'd said last week that part of the story was that she fell in love with a cousin Mm -hmm. and i'd assumed before watching it that it was an accident like she accidentally fell in love with a cousin and didn't realize it was a cousin. Oh no, she knows it's her cousin, right? Straight away. <laughs> like they know each other. <laughs> they talk about decision. the fact of how they're related. There's even a bit, right, r- really early on where the, the cousin, I think it's called Sven, mm. and he's got a son and he's divorced. He's divorced or he's split up and his ex-partner's new boyfriend, new husband or whatever, the way he's, he's presented is he's a bad guy, but he's mm-hmm. also a teacher. And it's like, they have nothing positive to say about teachers in this show. They're all just boring scumbags. And the new word that I learned, he, he described the new partner as a Lebensabschnittsgefeter, I think it is, which is life partner, as yeah. far as I understand it. But he said it in such a negative tone with such venom. that I was like, is that a bad thing? I don't quite know why it's i think at the time maybe it was like a new agey word and the show progresses and goes on and there's a bit where lola finds that her boyfriend is left her for another woman and she meets up with the woman's ex-girlfriend and they're watching the the woman's ex-girlfriend yeah so the the the, her ex-boyfriend is Mm. with uh, this other woman's Mm ex-girlfriend and i think lola says something along the lines of ah that's my boyfriend and she turns around and says oh i didn't realize you were into and the word she used was veal vibrai mm-hmm. which is polygamy and i say like, oh that's a new word for me as well <laughs> um, and that's just and what i've written is new word 
Veal Fry Barai, brackets, polygamy, and then in all caps, what is this TV show? <laughs> what is this show about? And frankly, I'm in love and I'm going to watch every single episode. I watched this a long time ago and I think um, you awakened the the need in me to watch it again. Can you tell me, so did you get all of this from the first episode? Mm-hmm. They packed a lot into the pilot. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of content. It's only 24 minutes or something. I did stop it oh. a lot because there was a lot of words that I had to translate. There's lots of like <laughs> vernacular that I was like, I don't know what that word means. I was really surprised how much I understood because I always have avoided watching German TV because my memory of it was just, it was confusing. And at first it was very fast and very hard to watch and I had to stop it and keep translating words. But eventually I got into it. And yeah, I've really enjoyed it. I'm going to watch all of it. I'm going to watch all of it. Maybe not give you an episode by episode update, listeners, but I think I'll come back to you after the first episode. And uh, the, the, the producer's wiping his brow with relief. Like what? <laughs> you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't think it's what the listeners want to hear is my, my opinions on early 2000s TV shows. Oh no, it's you that doesn't want to hear it. I understand. Okay, uh, listener, <laughs> the uh, producer is, uh, is censoring the content as we speak. Um, but the other thing that came out of it is it's ruined my Netflix algorithm because now I'm getting re- <laughs> I get recommended not only like teenage rom-com TV shows, mm-hmm. but all the TV shows with Berlin in the title. And there was a lot of TV shows with Berlin in the title. Oh, you should watch Berlin Station. Berlin Station was one of them. Yeah. There was a show just called Berlin. There was Dogs of Berlin. There was, oh, there was just loads of them. And I was like, really, is there... How come there isn't a TV show just called Augsburg? Maybe that's what I need to create. Just Augsburg. <laughs> just about a guy who moves to Germany from the northeast of England and he mm-hmm. meets a girl. <laughs> it's essentially about me. It's my, it's my and, best stuff. And her brother. <laughs> and a brother-in-law. Uh, there's no incest, thank God. And uh, it'll be quite nice. And uh, nope. No, no one seems to be buying into this idea. No one seems to like this idea. I'm going to write it. I'm going to win some Bambis and you'll see. Oh, you'll be, you'll regret. He's going to act in it. Me, me. I'm going to play myself. <laughs> who, who is? Till Schweiger, me, Matthias Schwieghofer and who else is a famous German actor? And maybe we can get Christoph Waltz. I know he's Austrian, but you know, same thing. Okay. I think I see you as, a, as an upcoming Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I feel like that's an insult. Uh, what? <laughs> I'm not a fan of Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Why not? I watched Fleabag. I just yeah. thought this is upper middle class wank at its finest. That's all I thought was just like, it's sort of, I just could not bear it whatsoever. Oh, okay. I, I, I get where you're coming from. But I'm a, as I'm, it's clear, I'm, I've obviously got a class chip on my shoulder. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Phoebe uh, Waller-Bridge and there was also Miranda Hart, I think. Oh God! Yeah. yeah. Oh God! All these people that make it make it in British comedy have just, the have just the same really background. fucking smug all the way through. Just yeah. smug lords and ladies as grandfathers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Everyone likes a bit of nepotism, right? Anyway, mm. <laughs> <laughs> less of my beef. Anyway, listener, watch Berlin, Berlin. If you haven't watched it, if you have watched it, watch it again. Enjoy it as I am enjoying it. I'm not giving you any challenge. <laughs> because, what, you like you thought, it too much. This was not supposed to be enjoyable. You can't beat Nick. That's all I'm saying. Not even with a massive stick. Um, <laughs> got some good news for you. Bring it on. Get hype. The agreements have finally been made between the states and the government of Germany and the 49 euro train and public transport ticket is finally on the way and it will arrive around about the 1st of May. So... 
we were about right in our guess around about Christmas. So pretty good. They're going to need, but three months more for this. Yeah, but about, about, yeah. Do we know why they can't do it anytime before the 1st of May? It's, it's very clear. It's because we live in Germany. <laughs> and everything, <laughs> everything has to take a significant amount of time before it changes. And we have to complain many times on social mm-hmm. media. Okay, yeah, definitely. And we've got to have a bit of like uh, right-wing backlash about socialism and uh, probably woke will be mentioned a couple of times by someone who doesn't understand what woke means and then we'll get cheap rail and public transport tickets. Okay. But it's here. It's better this year than next, I guess. Okay. Look at you looking at the silver lining. Well, you don't seem to be too happy about it. You were, you, it's something that you've wanted to occur. Now it's occurring. It will occur. I don't see it as being here. I mean, okay, it's not exactly what occurring. What is this? Like this cup is half full business. <laughs> I, I told you, it's new Nick. Optimistic I did not Nick. sign up for this podcast to see you this happy over things. Bring on the misery, man. <laughs> oh, we'll get to the misery. Do not worry about that. <laughs> this would not be a podcast about Germany if there wasn't at least a little bit of misery somewhere along the lines. Hey, let's get to the misery right now. Bring it on. Bring this on. I want to see the misery. Where is it? I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm very, very grateful for this 29 euro ticket. I mean, I currently pay 186 euro euros. Ticket. Sorry, 49 euro ticket. I currently pay 186 euros Mm. for my train to work. And I know that I'm not, I mean, that's the least of anyone's problem. But um, yeah, this girl gets to save a little. I looked at what I'm spending per month on public transport Mm -hmm. and it is a kicker for sure. But it hurts. um, It's significantly more than 49 euros. But Mm. but it's, yeah, don't worry. We will soon face some some happiness even if you want to you can still be miserable about it you can still be annoyed about it if you want Teddy but at least you'll be annoyed with a significant discount okay you sold me on that Nick (laughs) I didn't feel like I had to but hey Both Dilly and I work in education and from our own experiences I'm sure we could talk about how lockdown and the pandemic affected us as educators but also the pupils or students that we teach but there's been a recent analysis of 42 studies from 15 countries on the consequences of the lockdowns on school children and there's been a lot of different deficits noticed some of which were in maths and scientific subjects and I thought, well, since we're both in the, the, this sort of sphere of education, it might be worth talking a bit about our own experiences of what we've sort of seen and our observations of the pandemic effect in schools. So, yeah, is this something that you've been talking about with friends, colleagues, maybe the kind of impact of the pandemic and the lockdown and teaching in lockdown with uh, school kids? Um, It is. It's something that's come up in conversations with friends who've had like small kids. They go into primary school and then they had a a huge block of online teaching. And then, you know, they come back to school and they struggle with, with being inside the classroom, for one thing, and the rules and the regulations. So, you know, what teachers like to call discipline, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, sitting down, not going to the loo all the time, that sort of thing. 
and also like the learning experience online is very different right so if you take like the english alphabet and you keep saying the german you you will uh, name the english alphabet the way you would the german one and uh, these are things that you like learn you know with songs and games and you run around the classroom and things and this is not something you can do in its entirety at home mm-hmm. so uh, there are lots of learning gaps and it's not always possible for the parents to address it it's not possible for the teachers to address it once the students have gone up a grade or so i i often wonder though like uh, how is education taking into account pandemics different media when teaching like online teaching think of the impact in what ways is it going to show in these kids later on when the pandemic started i was teaching Uh, business english but mm-hmm. i've been teaching people in china for for months online so i was kind of ready prepared for what was going to happen i already knew how to teach online it wasn't mm-hmm. i knew the system that we had in place in the company i was working for and i sort of hit the ground running mm-hmm. but i was teaching adults right and that mm-hmm. was a very different experience and what i found was I mean it was weird seeing it happening in China and slowly tracking the pandemic as it arrived like we were talking about the pandemic before Christmas mm-hmm. and I was like oh god this sounds much worse than it's been talked about in the news and then it obviously hit Italy and then it, it hit Germany and I saw an increase with adult learners because it was a chance for them to just engage with people so people who never used to attend the courses would attend and then halfway through 2020 I switched jobs and started work at a a university but i was still teaching online mm. and the attendance was very high but it was a lonely experience because it was me on my own lecturing to basically black screens mm-hmm. very few people would turn the screens on until I, uh, well for certain lessons people did eventually and then we had like partway through the semester we unlocked as it were and we had classes in person and then we locked down again and it was back to that and it was a difference because some people knew me they'd met me they felt comfortable turning the cameras on the actual technical side not a biggie for me but the experience of teaching was pretty awful mm. but i think for the students that we teach it was more the social aspect was gone and i think some of them found that very difficult as i think we all did and i think you're right there's some little things i guess with communication maybe mm. certain skill sets maybe are missing but overall i think the students that i've interacted with dealt with it as well as anyone could do yeah but i think with younger kids it was much harder much harder for parents to deal with mm. we had stories we talked about them on the podcast of of parents listening into classes and then like complaining about classes because they weren't what they expected them to be and i think that wasn't great the dynamic between parents and teachers seems to be from speaking to teachers in different levels of german education mm-hmm. the parents seem to be a lot more they email a lot more they complain a lot more and i think that is what i would find hard to grasp if i was a teacher would be parents yeah. voice and like this okay parents have a right to their opinions but the way they communicate is pretty yeah. appalling ah okay 
Mm. I remember like in, uh, this was not 2022. It was in 2021 and I was teaching in a vocational school. So I was also teaching adults mostly. And I fell ill and I had to have a tonsil surgery. So which meant that I couldn't turn up for class for quite a while. But the thing is that uh, we had already, so we were teaching online And the principal was super nice and she still let me teach. I mean, the students were back in school and I could do online, like I could set work and correct and take my time. And I thought that was pretty cool. Mm. But we were at a workshop for teachers. It was to do with online teaching. And then we discussed how, uh, you know, this is how you're supposed to sit and or look at you, look at you. You should blur your screen. I don't want to see what's in your kitchen. You should have like a nice bookshelf and a separate room for this. So that you're not disturbed, it's very unprofessional. Do not keep the mic in front of your face. You should invest in a headphone with a mic that's, I mean, of course, all of this was expensive. And it really irked me that, I mean, we have kids sharing kitchen tables and internet and they do online learning. And then the, here we were, we were not given the equipment and we were just like, you know, sent home, made to do online teaching. We make do with what little money we get. I hear were people going, oh, you know, you're not doing this well enough. You're not doing it well enough. I, that really annoyed me. Mm. Yeah, my company was quite good in that. They did supply various amounts of equipment. But it's not just the equipment, is it? It's the style mm -hmm. of teaching. It's the approach that was I found really tricky. What I was surprised by speaking to teachers at the time was how like every school seemed to have a different process, a different system in place, mm -hmm. different technology. Mm -hmm. It wasn't joined up in any way. Some people had better experiences, some had worse. Yeah. And I think there is always that discussion in German education about the fairness, which yeah. I don't know, and I'm walking a tightrope here, if fairness is exactly the, the mantra we want to follow through with an education, if it's even achievable. Yeah. Uh, it's like people will talk about fairness. Like that was a big thing in Britain. Oh, we need things to be fair. And then it was, we need, it needs to be about choice. And then it's like, now we've just got a shitty education system unless you pay for it. So I, I think those are quite unnuanced conversations. Very. But there is clear elements of unfairness in the system. And I think what the report is actually pointing out is, that continued through the pandemic. So the kids who had great internet, the kids who had the equipment, the kids who had parents who could help them with their maths homework. Like yeah. maths has seen impacts with in this study in Germany, the levels and abilities for students with mathematics is, has dropped, but not significantly. But it's definitely the case that if you had a parent who knew their way around some uh, yeah. long division, do they still do long division? <laughs> I don't know. Um, Pythagoras theorem. <laughs> do we earn enough to do long <laughs> I division? I mean, is there money to be counted? I don't think so. I failed maths like uh, uh, at every level I failed maths. So I'm not the one to ask about it. But definitely that's what the reports say. It does say that the language skills are pretty good. Yeah. But I think, again, the question is always... Uh, and it's one that we contend with. People always ask me, what language do you talk to your wife with? And I'm like, well, both. It just depends. And I think for people who have multilingual families, I think those children who maybe didn't have two parents who are native German speakers probably found some difficulties with German. But even the study says German wasn't such a problem for students. Mm -hmm. But still, I think it's problematic enough. But they're talking now about backlogs. 
in education oh, and how no. to deal with the backlog and yeah. kids having to stay back a year because they can't achieve the grades they need to mm-hmm. move forward. How do we reduce that? And some of the things they're talking about are kind of programs like summer school is one thing that floated as an idea. Mm. One of the other ideas is that there can be like extra tutoring for students. Yeah. I I don't necessarily disagree. I know what an impact having done that kind of training myself, Mm. the kind of impact one-to-one training has, but it's not going to be one-to-one, is it? It's not going to be one-to-one schooling. And I did summer school when I was a kid and I found that quite useful to improve certain skill sets. How old were you then? I did it multiple times. I mean, I was kept back a year, twice. Mm. So primary school and when I moved to Scotland Mm. because they are a year behind. Mm. And I came in at a point where they'd started their, essentially their abitur. So my age group were already a year into their, what they called the standard grades at that time Mm. in Scotland. And so I would have missed an entire year of that. So I had to go into the grade below, Mm. which was not great, but Mm. yeah, needs must, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I found my level really, I guess, like I didn't feel like I was failing all the time and I didn't feel like I was Mm. an idiot all the time. But at the same time, I was a clear foot taller than everyone else. (laughs) Mm. that was like massive compared to the kids in my group so Mm. that wasn't great maybe it's diet i don't know so summer school i think can help okay but it does require teachers as well and i'm not sure how if i was a teacher whether i want to give up my summer holidays to teach more Uh, so i wonder how that would pan out i was thinking though like i mean the kids if they aren't promoted to the next grade and we say in German, versetzt, also versetzungsgefährdet, if they are in danger of not being promoted to the next grade. And if they actually have to stay back a year, it's going to feel like being punished. It's going to be punitive. And even extra classes over summer. I mean, people, I mean, of all ages have had it so bad during the pandemic. And I mean, as a teacher, maybe, I don't know what I'm going to feel, how I'm going to feel about having to teach during summer. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's going to be even worse for kids. I mean, they feel like they wouldn't know that it's not their fault when other kids get to go to the other class and they lose out on their friend circles. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're going to be miserable. I mean, that's why I asked how old you were when you had to stay back because you see, I mean, now you have a very sensible approach to having stayed back. Like I felt I was being punished and everyone else in my school thought I was being punished and kids are horrible, aren't they? So it yeah. wasn't exactly like they were nice to me mm. and I got like sort of a bit bullied for it because oh, I was Nick. like, yeah, I mean, like what are you going to do, right? But I can be sanguine about it now. And honestly, I think it's why I pushed myself to get a university. I guess if I'd been a German kid, I probably mm. would have been in like Hauptschule. That's essentially where it would have been. Mm. And then I had to fight every level and I had to work my ass off to get to every level. But I think what it taught me in that experience of having to get to university and then to get a master's, mm-hmm. like when I hit university, I was in sort of early 20s. Mm. So a good three or four years older than everybody else. Mm. But I knew exactly why I was there and I knew exactly what I wanted to achieve and I achieved it. And I was way more motivated than all the other kids mm-hmm. that I was at university with. And then when the option came up to get a master's, I was like, the only thing that I had to contend with was the price. Because my lecturer was like, you have the grades, you should be doing a master's. 
do you have the money? Mm. It was quite a lot of money. It was all my life savings went into my masters, but mm. it was it was worth it. It's, it's paid off. But I don't think I would have been that motivated to do all those things if I hadn't had those formative experiences. Mm. But at the time, you don't know that that's going to be the payoff, right? No, yeah. Bits of it I choose not to remember. I think I probably put a bit of a rosier tint on it. I can imagine how difficult it must have been for you as a kid. I mean, I have experience in being bullied. Hmm. Everyone has their own story, and it's mm. for me. I don't want to spend a lot of time dwelling on that personal sort of experience, as as negative and formative as it was, and the, and ultimately it all turned out okay. But mm. I think you're right about how you've got to you've got to frame it for kids, especially as mm. I think there's another report came out that said that the proportion of kids who are repeating classes has risen in all of the federal states except Bremen, is the only one where it hasn't. Mm -hmm. and I think teachers need to be the need to explain it I was never really explained to me why or like how it was happening and what it was that I needed to like it was really unclear why it was that I was being sort of punished only when I went to Scotland was it clear it was explained on the day like you have to go in this class because you will have missed a entire year of one of the most important qualifications that you can achieve at, at high school so I, that I understood, but I didn't mm. like it, but I understood it. But the first time round, it wasn't... I think the deal was I had to complete a maths textbook over the summer. I must have been about eight or nine, maybe. And it was kind of expected that I would do that work. Maybe a bit older, maybe I was 11. I can't quite remember. Like I said, I've kind of blocked bits Even out. Even so. It was like, you complete this maths textbook over the summer and you can get into the next class. But no one pushed us. My parents weren't like, right, you've got to do this. This is really important. And so I didn't do it because there was no external motivation. Mm -hmm. And I was just a kid over summer. And so like, and I could, you could blame people for that but it's also my choice too but again it was never really you were 11 Nick. yeah but i mean i'm also a sentient being right i knew that i needed to do it but i didn't do it so i'm not going to come on a podcast and blame my parents for the way things went <laughs> <Yeah>. now <laughs> <laughs> just like oh what was me oh. and it's all i mean ultimately it panned out fine in the end but You've got to tell these kids you're a, a sort of victim of circumstance to a certain extent. It's shit that you have to repeat the year, but it is the case that your pandemics had this ramification. You need to work in these areas. This is the stuff we need to focus on. And it can be reinforced with more like other elements. And I think that comes from the parents who are like, we need to focus on these areas. The teachers need to explain what the parents need to be doing. And the parents, the teachers need to communicate effectively and it can work. But that's a very rosy kind of perfect scenario. It doesn't always work like that because it depends a lot on the personalities involved, who your parents are, who your teachers are. And what you respond to as a kid. Exactly. I feel for a lot of these kids though because I do mm. understand exactly where they're coming from. Yeah. And it really isn't their fault that they happen to be no. caught up in a once-in-a-lifetime global pandemic. I say once-in-a-lifetime. We bloody hope it's once-in-a-lifetime, <laughs> right? I think if someone came to me and said, could you do English teaching for kids who are behind? Mm. Not that they would, but if that came up, I think I'd be far more motivated to help them because of that experience. Mm. But I do know that that isn't necessary across the entire industry, right? I mean, teaching English to kids has been one of the most rewarding things I've ever been involved in. Seeing these kids mm. talk, argue with me in English even, mm. It's one of the nicest things I've ever done to myself, actually. Mm. I mean, of course, if it came to that, if someone asked me to give lessons over holidays to kids, I I would. I'm a, I'm mm. a sucker for that sort of thing. 
But my boyfriend was saying that teachers, of, I mean, when he sees my Urlaubsantrag, and, you know, I have to apply for holidays in January for all my holidays mm. uh, for the year. I mean, we have like holidays like every other month, like a week or two off every other month. There is summer and there's Christmas and there's holidays in between. And the thing is, it's for very good reason. Because sometimes like, you know, on the, the first day of school in January, you're like, okay, winter ferian, winter holidays next month and that's what keeps you going mm. uh, as nice as everything is you really look forward to like not waking up to an alarm and things mm. so it's a very rewarding job but it's also one where people don't really realize how much of yourself you end up putting in it totally agree could agree more i've never felt exhaustion like back-to-back lectures like yep. you really just you're feeling questions you're teaching you're at the tables explaining stuff and and yeah. then i'll finish and i'll come home and my wife's like are you all right and i'm like yeah i just can't speak like, i can't think i can't process i need yeah. it to be quiet for 20 minutes which is a luxury if my daughter's not raging around the house and which she always is <laughs> so and i think parents might have seen how teachers teach in the pandemic but actually understanding what teachers do and honestly yeah. i hate it when people talk about oh well teachers get loads of holidays and i'm like do you know what teachers do in the holidays unless you're a sports teacher right that's the joke it's marking <laughs> man you're marking 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 and even sports teachers have to do some kind of assessment and it's just a lot of graft if you do a language and another subject say language and uh, history or um two languages maybe that you're teaching like that level of marking that you're doing and like i model my marking on my friends who are teachers because they do it the right way where they mark a paper and then there's like a they'll do like a slip of text with exactly their feedback on it and i think that's so mm -hmm. vital for people to know mm -hmm. like exactly what you're yep. thinking when you're marking why you're doing that and explaining your logic as to why a mark is a mark that you get in a way that will engage the student, motivate the student, not damage their, e like not necessarily their ego. That's not what we're really thinking about, but won't impact them such a way that they don't achieve more or achieve as highly as a lot of teachers think that their students can. It's really, really difficult. And then you put that into a place where you're in the summer holidays. You need those holidays. Partially it's marking. Like I spend the semester mm. breaks marking, 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 marking. And I'm not complaining, that's the job, right? But mm. I think for teachers working in schools, the summer holidays, that moment where you can decompress and come back in the next term with a bit of energy, mm -hmm. a bit more motivation. And I think that's tough to take away maybe three weeks of someone's holidays because we've got families, right? We've got people that yeah. we want to spend time with. But I do think there's value in doing it because yeah these these kids need support and more than half of the children and young people which is roughly 58 percent who repeated grades in germany in the 2021 2022 school year were male were boys and i think that resonates a little bit especially in this this kind of era that we're living in where you've got like wankers online telling people about why mm. men should be more angry about their lot and how that you can achieve anything you want if all you want is fast cars and and women and that is this kind Andrew of, Tate territory? Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to mention him by name, but that's exactly <laughs> that kind of shit. Yeah. And teachers yeah. have to contend with that. You have to fight that shit because that yeah. shit is it's an imaginary existence, yeah. and you can see how that is played out. But 
there's already issues with young lads and we see that and that exists speaking to students or speaking to just going out go out and watch yep. and see how people interact like yep. there's issues there and i think it stems from a lack of self-worth mm. and i think that is created at school as well yep. especially with people who are kept behind so i think it needs to be there needs to be a very holistic approach to it where yeah. we're thinking of all these elements i'm really thankful that you actually brought it up because i was talking to some of my friends and the point was kids as young as uh, i don't know 11 12 those in grade 5 they stop the lesson i mean even with english teachers they just stop the lesson and they bring up all sorts of things like, you know, uh, yeah, Andrew Tate, I want to be like Andrew Tate. You despair so much for the world and you have to like stop and, and then you discuss all this and you're like, what, why do you need 30 cars? I mean, it's not like you can drive them all at the same time. What's the point? And, 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 and you know, you ask them questions and then you drop some names like, uh, you know, look up Greta Thunberg and that's your homework, write like five sentences about her. Oh, I don't like her. And then, you know, but somehow you're like, oh, do you know, miss, she was arrested last night or something. You you, you kind of like shake up their interest a bit. And um, I mean, that's also part of teaching. And I don't know how that works online because you don't really see reactions and you don't respond in real time to things. Hmm. But coming back to like teachers' responsibilities, it goes so much beyond the subject. Hmm. I mean, personally, I try to tell students that in my classes they can eat, uh, go to the loo or drink water anytime they want because I want them to feel like they have control over their bodily needs and respect themselves in order to be also respect other people. And this is like, a, I'm playing the long game here and I think it's going to be like, take me like five or six years before they actually grasp that it's not just some kind of eat all you can lottery in class. But I mean, I, I keep at it. I sometimes mm -hmm. have to take away the privilege if people mm -hmm. abuse it for like two weeks, but then mm -hmm. it's they get it back. And I've had like really good results with that sort of thing. And mm -hmm. kids are more relaxed and they say, can I eat something? They eat something, they put it away. And I mean, that's also part of the curriculum. Coincidentally, I was talking about this with a colleague today about my experiences of school. And it was, I fucking hated school. I fucking hated every part of it. Mm. I hated my teachers. Yeah. I hated the people I went to school with. We were doing education as a topic on one of my classes, a British education. And I was explaining to them how initially I started in England in a grammar school and then went into a comprehensive in Scotland. And the difference between the comprehensive and the grammar school was the first day I was in the comprehensive, someone threw a chair at me. And then I think it was about a year later, I was walking down the corridor and someone I'd never met before stepped out of their line for a class and went, I'm going to stab you after school. And I was like, F and it was like only in the moment that I remembered it. I said it and I looked at everybody and I was like, oh, like, have I overstepped the line? I was like, but no, it really happened. Like, it really happened. And like, that was my experience. And I'm not saying that's the experience of everyone, but it was my experience. Oh, Jesus. It was terrifying at the time. But again, it's how I've had to deal with it. I've turned it into something that was like a motivator or a positive and that's me i'm not saying it's everyone but i would have liked someone to have my back i would have liked someone to explain what the fuck was going on and why it was that this was my lot and when i look at this sort of andrew tate and i hear about these discussions i'm like i'm one of those kids who would have been i was an angry young man mm. and i can understand why angry young men were attracted to this kind of mm. money tough money guy flaunting. yeah like when you've got fuck all yeah 
Andrew Tate looks like he's got everything, right? If yeah. those are the things that you're looking for. Not everyone's a sensitive soul reading Keats and Byron, you know, like and wistfully looking at daffodils, you know, that's not mm. really how it actually functions in a lot of places. Yeah. And I think you need to speak to them at their own level. Like this is like a an imaginary lifestyle. What's happened to him is is getting his just desserts. But like how you treat other people mm. as a young man, how you treat women especially, yeah. how you treat people in positions Absolutely. of authority. Yeah. It bleeds into work, it bleeds into your later life. And I think it's so important how you approach education. So if yeah. you've got 58% of young lads uh, repeating grades, you need to be aware of what impact that has on their psyche, especially yeah. if they're- On their self-esteem and yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It just always goes haywire. Dilly, there's a, a saying that you might not have come across in uh, in Swabia where I live, mm-hmm. which is Schaffer Schaffer Häuslerbauer. And this translates as save, save, build a house. And it essentially means save your money for when you need it. It may be a Swabian saying, but Germans, I think we could both agree, do love to save their money for a rainy day. And I found a statistic that said in 2021, and this is from the online bank N26, they found their users in Germany saved an average of 368 euros per month with the average monthly income of 2,061 euros per user. And that means that users in Germany were able to stash away about 18% of their monthly income, which is not bad when you think about it. It's pretty good. Yeah, crafty. But the question really that we were getting to is, what happens when things go wrong? Well, recent news from the Riester Renter, a program set up in 2001 by Walter Riester, the then Federal Minister of Labour and Social Affairs, Mm -hmm. has shown that savings is not always so easy. Many are realising that despite having paid the maximum amount for decades into their uh, pension accounts, they aren't actually getting what they hoped out of retirement. I've read this article and it was from an article in Süddeutsche Zeitung, a very long article about this process with people discovering that they paid the maximum amount and then discovered that they're definitely not getting the maximum amount out. It's made me think about my pension, which is yeah. also making me think about retirement. Oh God, I'm 40. Oh no, what's happening? Um, yeah, and uh, it's freaking me the hell out thinking about life and retirement. Although I do like the sound of not working. Is this something that you think about a lot? Like I think about this so often. Really? I think really? about my oh, savings. Okay. Yeah. One thing is I'm hunting for a sofa right now. If I save a little bit and then I go sofa hunting, I find a sofa for exactly the money I have in my bank account. And then I save a bit more and I find, I mean, even if I save, I don't know, so much money, there will be a sofa for exactly that amount. And then I end up thinking, I can only afford to buy a sofa. My life savings can only buy me a sofa. And that's a very tragic thought in the middle of the night when you have it in the dark. Mm. I think about the retirement. I don't think, I mean, yeah, we are paying towards a retirement. I mean, there are people who pay privately for their retirement and they have like two or three retirement accounts, I think. I'm not that far And then I read that uh, women in Germany, so like one in three women, will have a retirement uh, payment of less than 1,000 euros. Holy shit. That is scary. 
and we are a generation that's going to be like renting for a while mm-hmm. so you know i mean a huge chunk of your money goes toward rent Mm-hmm. and the rest towards fucking pot noodles that's <laughs> well, this is, this is, oh it's not that bad pot noodles are all right have you tried the uh bombay bad boy it's quite nice um, do you i mean this is the thing i was thinking was do you think there will actually any be anything worth retiring to given that all the doom and gloom suggests that our dotage might not be quite as cozy as we hope Mm-mm. maybe it's the britishness about me i can't sort of think further than maybe a couple of years into the future to think about 20 years, 30 years in the future. Yeah. And uh, do you know, our retirement age could be, uh, by the time we retire, we could be in our like early 70s, you know, it keeps getting mm. higher and higher. I think 67 yeah. is the target at the moment. I noticed the French were out in force Yay, on the streets. go French unionists. <laughs> like, Very happy for them. 62 to 64 is uh, a retirement age. And I'm like, hey, fair play if the, you, you protest democratic rights and all that. Oh, yeah. And, and I was like, but there ain't no Germans on the streets, right? There's no Germans <laughs> on the street going, hey, wait a second. And personally, I don't mind. I, I feel like I could teach forever at this point. Uh, maybe I'll change my mind when I'm 60. But yeah, do you feel like there will be a worthwhile world to retire to will we be in some kind of terrible mad max environment and if so what kind of uh, scavenger will you be i think about this too often i don't think it's healthy anymore actually i don't even like the idea of retiring when we are 60 or 70 or whatever I think people should be able to retire whenever they want because we have only one life and we are just going to work, coming back home and then preparing ourselves during all our weekends and holidays to go back and work. I think it's waste of life. And I, I, I think about this so often. I mean, a huge chunk of our salary goes towards the taxes, right? I mean, if you mm-hmm. look at the, the salary before it is taxed, I mean, we call it brutto and netto in German and it looks so pretty and then <laughs> and then you see the payslip and then you try to figure out okay so who's getting most of my money it, it, maybe there's a mistake maybe i'm paying like a church tax that <laughs> that i don't want to can i take, you know can i reverse it and um oh jesus yes. it's it's mad out there it's not great is it um, mm-hmm. and it's so bloody complicated as well like yeah. so much of it is confusing the the reason renter the sort of story in that was that you're like pumping all this cash into what is essentially a, a, a void. Black, yeah, like a void almost, <laughs> you know? And then you look at what it was and it was like, you really needed to read the terms of service. It was mm. like an iOS terms of service document where it's like hundreds of pages long. You've got to get your magnifying glass out, check all the small print. And I was just like, can't they just make small print illegal? It's pure shit if you've been screwed over by the small print. You do. I mean, have people had experience with ALG 1, also Arbeitslosengeld 1 and Arbeitslosengeld 2? So that is, uh, the first is like when you've had a job and you get a year or so to look for another one. But since you've had a job for so long, I think the idea is that you get like 60 percent or 65 percent of your of your last salary for one year and then if that doesn't work out you go on the job center and that's hard sphere and you get like what people term the unemployment benefits although there's nothing beneficial about it mm. i pay for possible unemployment benefits also from the salary that you get now i mean the huge chunk that gets lopped off your pay goes towards all of this but then 
if people queue up at the job center, I mean, you hear, you see on social media, you know from friends, you know from experience, nobody treats you like a person who's no. paid taxes. No. They don't consider your salary or your work or your employment or who you are. No. They just look at you like you're scrounging off like the money that they put in the coffers themselves. Yeah, yeah, not you. Not you working for <laughs> so long and then finding yourself without a job. Yeah. The other thing that was quite shocking was... There is a study done uh, on the Tagesschau and they looked at the netto ersatz rate, I think it is, and it's the replacement money that you get for your wages versus your pension. Mm -hmm. And it's got a breakdown of the different countries. So the Netherlands, you get 89% of your net salary in your pension mm -hmm. every month, uh, which is a good chunk of cash. In Greece, it's 84%. In Italy, it's 82%. In France, it's 74%. Mm -hmm. In Germany, it's 53%. Of course. Like, <laughs> you're not really getting much back from that. And it's like, we've got an aging population. And there's already discussions about, um, is it renting reform, I think it is? Mm -hmm. But they're talking about, oh, maybe we can tie this to investing in shares, which I'm not, like... 2007 banking crisis anyone um, i'm not kind of, i don't like that oh, idea Jesus, of like cryptocurrency pyramids yeah, scheme for the pensioners we're gonna get our pensions in bitcoins you know um all of that does not make me feel massively enamored with the process it's quite shocking the sort of returns for your money that you get in the mm -hmm. pensions so i'll be curious to see if reform of the pension system is actually going to be beneficial to us but Let's see what the SPD produce because they're the ones who are thinking of doing it. That brings us to the end of the show. We have to finish up quickly since Nick wants to get back to watching Berlin, Berlin. I'm desperate to know what happens to Lola. That's all. That's all. <laughs> if you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes a minute and can really help us. You can also rate us on Spotify. So chuck some lovely stars our way there as well. Retweet us, share a link or post with the hashtag decades from home or lowercase on Twitter or Instagram. You can also support the podcast by going to ko-fi.com slash decades from home and contributing to help keep this boat afloat. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Dilly on at Dilly Algamer and you can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on decadesfromhome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%german.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss. Tschüss.